doesn't matter what it is, it's like you're chewing on nothing. And then Sadhguru said, um, 40 chews is good, but if you get things like broccoli and you don't chew them, you get things like a grain and you don't chew them, they can't go into your system and help you, they just kind of go through you. And if you ever get a lot of gas, that's because you don't chew your food. And I know for myself, like broccoli is always a challenge because you've got to chew it enough that it, it turns into almost like mush. And so that's my little lecture on chewing. <laughs> um, this morning we have a really great morning plan for you all. And um, we will spend the last period of time working on your your, your projects, you're being tested for your meditations and your Kriyas. Um, I asked some of you, how did they do? And he said, some did good and some, he didn't even knew if you knew what you were doing. And that kind of got me a little worried. So <laughs> I said that I'll be here for you and not to be scared if you really feel like you don't know what you're doing. Um, because you may not, and that's okay. But once you start rolling, you'll see that you do know what you're doing. Um, today is Friday, and today is um, ruled by the planet Venus, and Venus is the planet of love. And so we will do what we call Venus Kriyas. Has anyone ever heard of those? Oh, great, so you knew. Yogi Bhajan gave us, it was beautiful, um, he gave us a chance to relate to other people in, in a um, in a heart-centered way. So it's part of yoga, and it's really, really beautiful. And you can take the pictures, because we only found it in one book. It's not in your manual. And you can do some of these, too. A whole class cannot be done with just Venus Kriyas, unless you made it a full moon class or something special like that. But you can also end with a meditation of a Venus Kriya. And you'll see, they're very, um, they're very fun. So we'll do that. But I first thought that I would ask everyone, are people hot or is it just me? Is it warm in here? Let's get some air in here. So we get all you to get these windows open. Maybe doors open the back door. Is the, is the heater on or off? If anybody after sauna could remember to turn that heater off because it's going to get warmer and warmer, especially next week, it should be in the 70s, which we're very happy about. And if someone would remember to turn off the, the candles also after sauna, that'd be great. The plants are looking good, and I hear you're all helping, or some of you, to participate. And when you come to visit us in Taos, you'll see these very plants, and you may not recognize them. It's like when you see little kids and then you see them growing up. God, you got so big, right? Kids hate to hear that. I hated it. God, you grew. You got, well, what was supposed to happen? You saw me, you know, five years ago. So these plants will probably become very gigantic. I've got one geranium I bought last year, and it's like, like this. And I was telling our geranium lover back there that if people come and you, you're getting a real bushy plant, you can break off like a good-sized branch with a bloom maybe on it and give it to your friends and say, take it home and put it in water and it'll root. And then the root you put in and then you have another plant. 
geranium jar are beautiful. I remember as a kid, my mother would make jam, and she would always take a leaf of the jam, of the um, geranium, because there's so many different varieties, hundreds of different varieties, and she put it on top of the jam and seal it, and then the jam would take on that, that scent or that flavor of that particular geranium. They're very, very beautiful, beautiful plants. Um, so I thought that I would ask you now if you have any questions about anything that maybe I can help you answer. Because this afternoon, Guru Shabbat will teach. Saturday morning, um, what's happening on Saturday? Um, Guru Shabbat will teach, and then Amanbir will be in the afternoon, and then Sunday you have off. So basically, we have a work day to day to work on your on your kriyas, and then with almond beer, and then Monday will be first testing day, and we'll do many other things next week because we have a much more to learn. But I want to get you rolling and see where the pulse is of of how you can be as a teacher. <coughs> also, Anand in India, I just got off the phone with him, and he's thanking everybody if you were amongst them that gave money in PayPal to help with India. Because they're taking trucks with supplies and with food up into the villages now, above, above Rishikesh. Sometimes an hour up, there's villagers. And what happened, he explained, is they had another big rage with this virus um, sometime back. And then they thought, like everyone thinks this is gonna go away forever, and so, they actually got back to work, but then they used their money like everybody would. And now they have no way to earn money and they have no way to get food and they have nothing in, in, in the pantry. And so the virus has not hit the villages up above. And if we can keep that virus away from them and keep feeding them, there's a good chance that we can keep the villagers alive and well. So your contribution on PayPal is helping with that and also getting the oxygen tanks. So, um, I know Gusheva told you yesterday, those who came for the BitTorn meeting, and he forgot, which I didn't remember either, but he got here, is if you wanted that one we were watching of Dell Big Tree on the high wire, did he announce that, that he would send it to all of you? I'm going to be a sent it via WhatsApp. Oh, he did? So. Okay, good. Um, it's an important one. And it was so scary when I listened to it, I was almost thunderstruck. But at the same time, I was so happy. There's a cat's out of the bag of why this is all happening. I mean, it is one doctor. He's a 52-year-old, 52-year experienced doctor in vaccines. And it is a very worthwhile one to watch all the way through, not shut it off and say, oh, like that, or I don't want to hear it. Because if you know why something is happening, you can deal with it better. Like say you have a child who's sick or a child who, who does something and you don't know why, but you find out why, even though the child may still be doing that habit, at least it gives you a better handle on things, and that's what it was for me. And I talked to another friend in India this morning, and we had talked about this before, 
And she says, I knew it. I said, I knew it too. So watch it, it's worthwhile. And you know, agree or not agree, we don't really care. But we know we have um, a lot of rebels in the room here. Is the it? That will stand up for truth no matter what. And that's gonna be your chore or your challenge or your gift. When you leave here and go back to wherever you go back to, to people who um, may not agree with you and, and what to do with that information. We always said stay in the company of the holy. What does that mean? Stay in the company of like-minded people. And you're gonna to have to maybe create your own community or maybe you already have a community where you are. But you can't buck something by yelling or screaming or trying to convince your parents or trying to convince your friends. Just be quiet, it's, it's too much energy and it doesn't need to be. You can give them, that's what I do. When people wanna know truth, whether it's in pregnancy yoga, um, and why not to vaccinate your children, or why to have a baby at home, or why not to do this, or why to do this, in whatever branch that I live in, I usually refer them to somebody that knows more about it than I do. And I give them a, either a, a, a film to watch or a, a lecture to hear of somebody that I honor that can say it better and has more statistical backup than I do. You know, I'm just giving my opinion. But then you talk to somebody who's a scientist in the world of vaccinations and you, you hear him more than you would me if I just say this, this, this. So it's better, you don't have to hold all this information inside your own head. Just get your little library of people that you trust and believe in. And then say, well, maybe if you, and then size up that person, what can they hear? What you're going to listen on the Dell, Big Tree, High Wire, most people can't hear. They'll turn it off. It's too much. The same as David Icke. They'll just turn it off. It's just too much. It's like, it's making their heads go crazy. So you have to know what you're going to present. Your intention has to be to serve them and not to self-serve, to get your point across, you know. It's to help them to understand in in the amount of capacity they have to understand. And for most people, it's not what we just gave you. With most people, it's not David Icke. Um, they need more watered down, I guess, yeah. or not as like that. More educational. Well, educational, less. Yeah, educational, but that's, based on but that's what the high wire is with, what's his name? It's so educational and they always print out everything. They don't ask you to believe it. They print out the stats of it, what has been published in. And, and then you can go and get it offline. You can download all the printed information too. But then you have to, once you know it, what do you do with it? And so I was talking to Anna this morning and we said we have to love more. We have to dance more. We have to sing more. We have to bring more joy into our lives because that's the greatest gift we can give to the world and that will catch, that will catch like the theory of the hundredth monkey, it will catch even though it doesn't seem like it's catching now. I mean, when we saw the film of the encouragement of children between 12 and 15 to get the vaccination and their parents won't take them to the doctors and they should go themselves. I mean, 
What kid walks into a pediatrician and say, hi, I'm here for my vaccination? It's so, it's so mind-blowing that you just, um, and the way Del puts it all together is like, you're going, ay, 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 ay. And then I talked to my friend in South Africa this morning, too, who is from, her family originally is from Zimbabwe, but their heritage is Israel. And she said, do you know what's happening in Israel? I said, no. And she said, they're just throwing bombs left and right. It's a very, very big thing there now. And then I started thinking, I mean, it started from the Gaza, and you know, the usual story in Israel, somebody says something, somebody throws a bomb, and then they're all throwing bombs. And then I flashed back that Israel was really the guinea pig for this virus. They were the country they chose to give everyone viruses. And my feeling is it does something to your brain too. It makes you more aggressive, and it makes you not settled. And the same, uh, that island, the Seychelles, off of um, India, there's more cases than ever now. And they were another one targeted. So you put two and two together. Most of the people in, in America are not putting any two. Two and two does not meet four with them. They'll probably just run and get their kids the vaccinations, and then they'll go to two-year-olds. And I can't wait till they then say, let's just inoculate with this vaccine, this, this um, I'm not even calling it a vaccine, this experimental drug into pregnant women. I mean, they could. They've touched everything else. And so, like Bob Marley says, and I was doing my jumping with Bob Marley today, stand up, stand up for your rights. We're being asked to conscious people. And I do believe it's not that numbers have to match, it's energy. We don't need 10,000 awake people and 10,000 asleep people. We don't even need that big a number, us, because our energy is so much bigger. We're not better, we're just bigger in energy and in light. And so we'll do a re-entry. We'll work on re-entry tomorrow, next week, that's for sure. Because you have to, unless you're just going to stay here forever in a bubble, you, you have to go somewhere. And where it may change, it may change next week. Where you decide to go to Santa Barbara, you may not go. Or somebody may not go here, someone may not go there. They're going to choose to go where the energy is. And that's why on a week from Monday, we're going back to Tulum. So anybody can join us there, that's for sure. Um, so. Let's just ask, are there any questions if anyone has of any capacity? If it's out of my capacity, I'll say I can't answer that one. Let's ask your Shabbat or Almond Beer, or I'll give you something to look at. Yeah, speak so, up. Uh, yeah, I have a question uh, about the Neville Point. So yeah. the Neville Point and Neville Center, is it the same uh, thing? Yeah. As far as I can figure, it's three fingers below your belly button. People think the center is your belly button. That's your umbilical cord. That's where you were all attached to your, your mama. And when that umbilical cord came out, you came out and the, the placenta followed, you have that psychic connection with your mother no matter what. If she died, if she's alive, if you don't know who she is, if you're adopted, if you like her, if you don't like her, 
that connection is there forever. It's the psychic connection of the belly button. But three fingers below the belly button, there's 72,000 nerve endings. And that's where your navel is. So when you're doing like stretch pose, or you're doing anything where you have to contact the navel, you, I just see it like this. I just see it. My thumb is here in my belly button, and I just see the, the circle right below it. Just, Chakra, about the third chakra. Is this relevant to the uh, navel center? Yeah, it is the navel okay. center. So basically, when I'm strengthening the navel center, I'm strengthening my Manipura chakra, right? Yeah. 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 Got it. That's a great question. Yeah. Layer upon layer. Who else? Anybody else? I have two questions. Yeah. First question is you said there's 72,000 nerve endings. That's the same, and that's what you say about the hands, the feet, everything. That's just coming. And the navel. So it's 72,000 nerve endings mm -hmm. everywhere. Yeah, hands, feet, navel. In your ears? He said it's something that. That I, I, maybe so. I'll ask him. Amavir said that? No, someone was saying like you can do, like, I guess when you're doing the plants with the hands yesterday. Satanama, no. No, the like. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's Thank you. And then my other question was, yesterday you mentioned how you were going to speak about clothing. Oh, yeah. So when they said, Amanbira already talked about it, but he kind of talked about it maybe from a man's point of view. Um, well, I like clothes. There's no denying. You probably have seen me. I haven't seen me wear anything twice. I've been waiting because I, at home I just wear shorts and a t-shirt because we're always gardening and, you know, getting dirty and doing stuff in the ocean. But here I have all these clothes lined up and I'll tell you the story of how it all happened. I kind of figured it out. When I was a little kid, we never went into a store except the shoe store because my I don't think my parents could make shoes. And when our feet got really... Um, really tight in the shoes and you have to get your kid another pair of shoes and they couldn't go barefooted to school. But other than going to buy a dress, I never remember buying a dress at all because my mother made all of our clothes. And it was, it was a wonderful thing when I look back to have a mother make your own clothes, but um, the kids made fun of us because we had homemade clothes. And at that time in the 40s and early 50s, you were, you know, going to the stores and buying and ordering on the catalogs and stuff. And then we wore secondhand clothes. And if you were given secondhand clothes to your mother and then you wore it to school and it was some other girl's clothes, everybody pointed at you. <laughs> like, look, she's got my old dress on. It was so mean. Nowadays, people switch clothes, you go to resale shops and all of that. And it's just cool to wear vintage and old and. And then I, I laughed so much when people started wearing those blue jeans with big, paying $400 for big holes in their blue jeans. And I'm like, oh my God, what is this all about? Because when I went to school, the guys wore Levi's and they had to be ironed on the crease. And everything was just so stuffy, proper, boring. And I think that's why we became hippies. We just broke out of that, you know? And so, I didn't have very many clothes, and my mother used to make us um, 
our dresses out of the chicken feed bags, but the chicken feed bags were flowery. They were really like pink, lots of pink, because maybe the, the flower people from the chickens knew that the mothers needed fabric to make clothes and they were cotton. And so she used to make us little dresses and then she used to make our doll dresses to match. Uh -huh. And so all of it was so beautiful. And every fall we would go up, we had these big bins um, of old chicken feed, but they were clean. I mean, they were, we used to store our stuff at the top of the barn, like winter clothes in the summer. And then we go up in the fall, my sister and I, and we pull out all these old clothes, and some of them were um, for my aunt, who was not too much older than us, and others people had given us. And so we just, we'd make whole new wardrobes, like we would match this with this, or cut this up and do all this, so that in the fall we could go to school, because everybody had to go with new clothes then. But what really I remember the most is there was a book, and the book was called her 100 dresses. It was a storybook, a children's book. And it was a girl who was really poor. I mean, we had food and all of that. But this girl lived with her father like in a boxcar, like an old trained boxcar in the middle of a forest. And she would go to school and she had only one dress. And of course, everyone made fun of her. People made fun of people so much. I hope they don't do this as much now. But if you didn't look right, you did all this stuff. And she would always say, I have a hundred dresses at home. She'd always say that. And so one day, I think her father was a migrant worker. They just disappeared. And so they decided to go to her boxcar, these kids, and see if really she did have a hundred dresses. She had a hundred dresses made of paper that she had hung. She had made them out of paper. And so I never forgot that. I didn't go and make 100 dresses out of paper because as time went on, so then as time went on, I was going to um, be like everyone else or try to be like everyone else. And I was gonna eat steak and I was going to have clothes and just be like a regular person. Um, but it didn't last very long. And um, soon thereafter, I, it didn't satisfy me and I went into theater school and then I could look like an idiot all the time because everybody did at this theater school. The more outrageous you could look, the better. And that was my first embarkment on letting myself be me. And that was in like 1960, 61, something like that. I, I got a two-year scholarship to Goodman Theater School of Drama at the Art Institute of Chicago. And I went and I worked really hard and I was in plays and I wore costumes and everything. But then when you left, you could just wear anything you wanted. So I, I never got into the stakes and I never got into the nice clothes because after that, I became a hippie. And then I could just make my bell-bottom pants and you could wear anything. So I never really got caught up in fashion because um, I kind of missed the times. And then from a hippie, I became, I lived in an ashram. And then we just wore all white. And because we didn't have any money then, all of us kids, we would go to the Salvation Army. And we looked ridiculous. I don't have photographs, but I do remember we wore baby doll pajamas, white. 
and there'd be these bloomy things here and this big bloomy blouse. And then we started wearing turbans, but turbans went like three feet straight up. There was no dimension. They were just like, we kept winding and winding. We must have looked so, so funny. And then after all those years, I, I became, I managed the Golden Temple restaurants in Santa Fe and in LA. And I just wore a uniform, a, a very cute, waitress kind of hostess uniform. Then when Gershavan and I got married almost 40 years ago, I owned a box. It was about this big, he can remember. And it had a goudoir dress and it had my waitress uniforms and a toothbrush. I didn't have anything. And so that was like 40 years ago. So here we go back from when I was born into all that long period of time where I never really had anything, but I thought I had everything. I didn't really care. I didn't know anything about brands or labels or I didn't even know how much clothes cost because I never still went shopping. <laughs> and then as time went on and I started teaching all over the world and I started becoming very intrigued with the possibility of clothes. And that was when my, maybe I was about 50, so 28 years ago. And so every city and town I go through uh, throughout India, throughout China, Russia, I was, I became crazy to go shopping because we had money from teaching and, and then I would ask the girls in the, in the courses or the teacher's training, where do you go shopping? And of course they took great delight to take me to go shopping. And so I, I have clothes from all over the world, like from Serbia, China, every place. And so I have these collections, you might say, and it's so much fun. So then, a year ago from last March, came the shutdown, we couldn't go anyplace. So my clothes, like the hundred dresses of that girl from the storybook, they've just been hanging there. Not worn because I just would wear, you know, a t-shirt and blue jeans in our town, in our, in our place. And then this was actually the first time besides Tulum, where you wear a whole different kind of clothes there, um, that I could actually wear the clothes here. And so I looked in my closet and I said, oh my golly, I've got such beautiful clothes. And I fell in love with Johnny Was, which is a, a brand many of you know. And um, so that became kind of my love, and then having clothes made in India. And I take a lot of excitement to get dressed before I go teach. Um, how do I feel today? Not so much how do I look today, but how do I feel? Um, what do I want to wear today? And it always changes. And it's really fun. And I don't know if guys have the same kind of feeling. I don't even know if girls have the same kind of feeling, but when you present the teachings, which is through you and it's not you, you want to present them in such a way that it, it, it brings a a neutralness to yourself and it brings also a grace to yourself and it also brings a non-attention getter to yourself. In other words, if you continue and you dress like you want to dress kind of sexy, you know, with the guys like me, that kind of look, um, you don't wear that when you teach because that's not you when you teach. I'm not a man, I'm not a woman, I'm not myself, I'm not a person. I'm 
a teacher. So that's why we're pretty modest when we dress. We don't let the middle of our bodies show. Because what happens is it, it takes people off the track of what they're there for. And people have such an easy, easy way of arousing that second chakra. It even arouses it more than being hungry for food. That, that sexual energy is a drive. And some people are addicted to that drive. But we have to have that drive because you wouldn't procreate. We wouldn't have a human race. What if no one ever got horny? They weren't interested at all in sex, every single person. There wouldn't be any babies. That's why we're unusual. Every other animal, and we're animals, on this planet Earth go into heat at certain seasons, right? Like the bear will go into heat at a time where they can hibernate and grow the baby safely. They'll come out in the spring where the weather's conducive enough to bear a child and it's not so cold that the child would die. And everyone from birds to frogs, they have a rhythm. They're not always, well rabbits are a little different. They always seem to be getting pregnant all the time. But um, most has seasons for survival. Seasons so that they will, the, the young will survive and the race of that certain animal or fish or mammal will go on. Humans are different though. If we were really in tune with ourselves, women, we would understand our cycle, understand our ovulation, which I know many of you do, of when you can bear a child and when you can't. Um, but men aren't like that. They just can, and, and, and all the other animals aren't like that. Like the deer won't go after the doe unless it's time and the right season for her to get pregnant. But we're different. We have, the difference between the human being and the animal that I see is we have a choice of every single thing. Animals have instincts, they don't have choices. They know what to do, when to do it, how to do it, except man, of course, has upset their, their truths of what they eat. You know, when you go to India, um, the monkeys are, they know what to eat, but when there's no food, they eat paper, they eat plastic, they eat crap. You know, because they lost their instinct because we've crowded them out of their environment. So we want to come in as a teacher, and men included too, where you're very um, beautifully neutral. That you don't have a lot of attention to yourself. Someone may say, oh, she's pretty or he's handsome. But you're not emanating that. You're not wanting to come on to your students. One thing that's really important for women is that the lower triangle of your body be very, um, very discreet. And if you, as a teacher, you'll see, wait till you have people go into plow pose. You know, you see everything. It's just like, do they think that you don't see everything? Or do they like that you see everything? I've never quite figured that one out. I think it's a mixed bag. But you don't show all your private parts as a teacher and hopefully the students will, will carry that on too. 
So a lot of times women will wear leggings, but they'll also wear like these gym shorts you can wear underneath that do, that keeps everything private or get a heavy enough chitty does. I know that um, Beyond Yoga is that I have the ones that they're there. They're out of LA. They're very thick. I forgot the name of them right now, but we would always sell them in our stores. Um, I know aloe makes them pretty thick, and but you don't even have to wear these chitty dots or these leggings. You can wear more baggy pants, and especially women in your moon cycle. Just take care that um, people pay attention to the yoga, not to you. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, head coverings, we've said it over and over again, but if you don't believe us, do sauna without a head covering for a number of days, and then do sauna with a head covering, see if you feel any different. And But I do encourage you not to teach unless you cover your head. You have no protection. And, the, and people are going to wham so much stuff at you. They're going to wham their mother's stuff at you, their father's stuff, their sexuality stuff at you. They're going to try all kinds of things, especially if they're new. They don't know what this is. They don't know the power of it. So they're coming in on it in a naive way, but a way that you need to have a protective force around you. I think we've also talked about, um, it's, it's hard, it's a hard line that the students are not your friends. It's a student-teacher relationship. Does that mean you can never be friends with them? No. But you cannot, you have to have a demarcation while you're teaching. It's a fine line that most of us aren't. I'm still working on it. Because some of my best friends are students. Some of my best friends are teachers. And um, like I said before, if you're counseling someone, which will happen after class, they're broken open. They had an experience like, oh, you've had, I remember when I was three years old, now I understand this, I can't believe it. Blah, 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 blah. You don't say, I understand because I've had the same thing happen to me, and then you tell them your story. No, 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 no. With fellow teachers, you can tell your stories with them, but you cannot with students. It makes you like girlfriends, and you're not girlfriends, and you're not boyfriends. You're a teacher at this particular moment. So what happens when you get all your friends to come to class? You know, you're still their friends, and yet you're a teacher. At this time, you're a teacher and they're students. Maybe you go out for lunch. Afterwards, you can become your old self again. I don't know, you have to work it out. It's not an easy situation, but it's a worthwhile to watch yourself. And when you come in and you've had a really, really hard morning and you still have to go teach something, happen on the phone, you're in the middle of a divorce, or one of the kids, or whatever it is, don't bring it in the class. There were so many times I wanted to cancel teaching. I can remember it. I can remember times I did try, and sometimes I succeeded. I get on the phone with somebody at the front desk at Golden Bridge, I said, I get this really bored. Can you get a sub like that? You know, because maybe I was in a fight with Grishabat or something had happened, I can't teach, I'm so emotionally And sometimes it would say, we can't find anybody. And I'd go teach it, it was usually the best class I ever taught. Because you had to get out of your own way. Uh, or I feel sick, or I feel... 
a lot of times you will feel sick right before you go teach and the mind will say like I told you when the owl hit my back um, you don't know anything and they're going to finally find out you don't know anything they're going to throw rotten eggs at you you know they're going to think you're so stupid they're never going to come back all that old dialogue might go through your head but you step right through it feel the fear and do it anyway because that's where we grow so I would just say you don't need many clothes, you just maybe need three outfits that you feel good in. And you can say, I feel good in this. And you don't want it too tight because you have to show how to do postures. You don't want it too low here because you don't want people looking down your, your top. And you want to keep your lower triangle very um, private. And um, I think, does that answer? Who asked that question? Yeah. We're going through class formats with our practices. What's the best time to integrate dance and singing in the classes? Was it best time what? To, to do dance, dancing and singing in the class. They were teaching the class and we wanted the class well, to dance or sing. Well, actually speaking, there's enough Kriyas that have dancing afterwards. Okay. Now, I kind of was a little loose on this, um, and maybe I have a reputation because of that. But I make sure that not every class has dancing. That it, because it's not in the set, it's not in any of your kriyas. So there are occasions, but don't make it a customary thing that after every class you get known, oh yeah, they dance a lot. Try to fit the kriya in to that celebration. Maybe after shavasana, you can have them come out and start moving. And then of course, music is very, very important. Um, it must uplift. And when I play Bob Marley, I think Bob Marley uplifts. I think some of the Beatles uplift, although some of it does not. Um, I think most things, it's the lyrics, and it's the rhythm, and it's the instruments. Um, but it can get too much, too. On Saturday night, I didn't tell you, a week from tomorrow, we're going to have a sock hop. Does anyone know what a sock hop is? No, you don't know, do you? Who doesn't? Who does know? Well, if you had parents that grew up in the 50s and the 60s, it's actually amazing. And our friend Richard over here is making, is going to DJ it, but I'm going to request some more songs I was thinking of too that maybe aren't just from the 50s, like Elvis Presley. We'll go into other things. But you wear a pair of socks. And the reason being is this floor, we won't have any, we'll be done. That'll, we'll have had graduation, and then we'll have a sock hop. And we're also going to have a, um, um, a little bit of a show. Um, you're all going to put on something. I've got some ideas that we'll go into. But anyways, if you wear socks, not the skitter socks, but real, you can dance so good with socks on, because you can slide all over the place. And so it became very popular in the 50s to have sock hops. And it's just such a fun to dance where you can slide with your partner and twirl around and stuff. So that'll close us up Saturday night. And then Sunday morning, I'll teach 8 to 10, and then we'll have a, a very nice brunch following that. And then you'll all do something, go somewhere. Yeah. Um, as far as the head cover is concerned, after you're done with class, for the protection purposes, for the fact that you're just so open, 
Should you keep that turban on for a while? How does that afterthought? Yeah, I would, I, I would just say this. To me, it looks pretty dumb. As once class is over and you just throw your turban off, it just doesn't have any, any um, presence anymore. But then let's just say you're going out for lunch afterwards, and of course you're welcome to not wear your turban, but someday you may want to wear your turban and see and see what happens. Because my, my mother actually said that a lot of times you keep the turban for a while, not in Kundalini in general, but in other types of practices. Yeah, yeah you might experiment. You might like to um, wear it more. And you might like to wear your hair up and feel the, the rishi or the power of the energy that comes down. It's all experimental and there's no set rules. It's just suggestions, but the only way you're going to know the truth of what I say is if you can experience it. Yeah. yeah. Um, another question regarding the dress code. What about the colors? What about the what? The colors. White is the main White. Color. Yeah. White. The other colors? Um, pastels, but no black. I mean, I will wear probably on that graduation morning because I like to wear things that people have given me. Um, I'll take, well, really, I thought it was a day because my friend Alana gave me a kimono that's a kind of pe light, light peach. So sometimes I'll very light, light yellow. And then there's off-white, there's white, there's light, light pinks. Anything that stays in the etheric realm. But not to walk in with black, bright red, it's too startling, and this yoga is too subtle. Colors are pretty powerful. Now with this, you can also like collect scarves and wear a beautiful scarf too. The scarf came from Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and when we came back from visiting my daughter that first summer, last summer I guess it was, when we thought this thing was going to be over with. This lady called me and she said, why don't you come to Jackson Hole, Wyoming and teach at our ranch and we can teach outdoors. And at that time, masks weren't too heavy, but they were. She says, here in Jackson Hole, we do anything we want because we elect our governor. It's a really rich Jackson Hole, if you've ever been there. And they were quite a wealthy family. And so I went and then they presented me with this beautiful, beautiful one from Italy with butterflies and all this stuff. So, and that was where we met the, her father was 99 years old. I told you he had, he was in the hospital and he had had COVID and 99 years old, lived a great life. He was a pro tennis player from Czechoslovakia, wrote about me, amazing, amazing fellow who overcame so much. And so they called all the, um, brothers and sisters in from wherever they lived, and they said, you know, we're all here, Dad. It's basically, it's a good time to go. <laughs> and then there was a Cherokee, a white Cherokee, you know, car, a Jeep, and he's driving, it's driving down the road, and this guy stops, and I said, oh, who are you? He says, oh, I'm the dad, I'm the owner of this ranch, I'm 99 years old. He never died, he just went back and did his thing. So that was a fun, exciting thing. So sometimes you'll start collecting things. And then also students will bring you gifts too. 
That just is what they just want to do. Maybe it's a jar of honey or cookies they made or a scarf or something. Pretty soon you'll have so, so many things because they're so appreciative because their life has changed because of what you've taught. And um, you just receive them very gratefully and gracefully and pass the cookies out and, um, and where, yeah, jewelers come and want to give you jewelry. I have so much jewelry. Another great story is I, I used to wear so much jewelry. If you ever look back at old pictures of me, sometimes I'd wear gold bands on here and eight um, malas, and I was just overloaded, man, with stuff. <laughs> and um, it got to be a burden, too, because every place I'd go, every place I'd fly into, I'd have to say, where's my jewelry should, all this kind of stuff. So one day, I was at RT in Rishikesh with Swamiji. He's a, he's a very saintly man there, little man, and he, I always had to sit next to him in this throngs of thousands of people sometimes. And he looked over at me one time, he said, mm. I'm a jewelry. That's all he said. But the message was, why? And so, I got bowls full of it and I keep giving it away. I, I might come back to jewelry, but I'll tell you, it's really freeing. I, have no, I don't wear any rings, I wear this. This is my kata, which is what Sikhs wear. And, um, and my watch to know what time it is. And I don't have to say, what do, what do I do with my ring? Where is this? Even Vishabit, you know, I have wedding rings. I wish I can't. I just don't. And it feels free. But I'm not saying it'll last forever. But a beautiful model like what Amambir wears is beautiful. You know? So pick and choose and you'll go in and out of stuff. And the, the head, head dresses, for many of you, um, I've seen you really do some nice things, you know? <laughs> like your bunny hat. Um, but there's ones that are taking cloths and just making, you know, they look Arab or they look different nationalities. And, and to flourish in, your, in, in how you keep your head covered and also practice taking your hair up in a Rishinam before you teach. When we first started out, we didn't really even want to wear our hair up because did everyone see the musical hair? Yes. Well, hair was our thing, you know? We were in, hair was it. And we were the rebels that let our hair grow and the men's grow and the beards grow. And You know, I came from a culture where you always had your hair cut like this and then everyone let their hair grow. And my hair was out like this, and it was, it was crazy because I never combed it, I never brushed it. I don't. I think I must have washed it. I don't remember that. But I would get um, to the ashram, and then we were told put your hair up in this thing called the rishi knot, and that was a real ego bender for us because we lived. We were women. We had hair, you know, like this, and so then we started wearing turbans, but we left hair out. We wore these long earrings and we would let our hair come like this and our hair come like this and even do little curls because we wanted the guys to know, I got hair. Then <laughs> <laughs> I remember one summer, winter solstice in Florida and somebody came back and they said, Yogi Bhajan is requesting you put all your hair up. And to us it was, oh no, all we've got left is our face. <laughs> and it was really something. 
So these are the stages that we went through. But in experimenting, um, it just feels good. And so, but again, you have to experiment with it. And I'm not saying you're gonna get a letter from me saying you can't teach, I heard you didn't have a terminal. It's like, I'm not gonna do that. We're not gonna do that. We're gonna tell you the science behind it and for you to choose because of it. Yes? You mentioned David. I just Googled David. Yeah. I just Googled him. Yeah. It's why I, I, I see. A-Y-D. I think it's I see K-E. I, I what? I see K-E. I see K-E. Yeah, he's on the okay. yeah. He's on, um, well, he was on. Um, could, you, could you say the microphone, please? I, I, let me get it for you. Hold on. Yeah, he's got his own platform, but he also was a lot when Brian um, from London. Are you putting that in WhatsApp? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I will put that on WhatsApp right now. Okay, thank you. Yeah, he's well worth it. He's been saying what's happening now 40 years ago. Yeah. yeah. He's a trip man. That yeah. guy is like the master wizard. Yeah, you know who's excellent too I didn't see you guys talking about him at all I think he's uh, younger um, but also super articulate Gemini um, Russell, Russell Brand well, we know Russell Brand very well he started in Kundalini with us at Golden Bridge um, LA I think he has like really for the yeah. past maybe year and a half, two years, yeah. got to this place of... Yeah, he's good. He got married, he has two kids. I saw him in London. He was very humble then and he asked if he could come to a class I was teaching. He used to be, um, he, he'd go to the comedy store and do really obnoxious, yucko, you know, his comedy sense of humor. And then he would come and do Kundalini Yoga with us every morning wear a turban. And then little by little, he was such a womanizer, he was, ugh. But then, no, he was. What he was doing to Golden Bridge almost destroyed Golden Bridge. Yeah, women were so enamored, he could sleep with anyone, do anything. But I was traveling a lot. I was not at Golden Bridge very much. I was traveling all over the world, so I wasn't really in tune with it. And when I got in tune with it, oh my God. But it's wonderful to watch people grow. Yeah. It's wonderful. Now he has a show and he's really anti-vaccine. He's anti-everything that we're anti, but in a sense of humor yeah. that is crazy. That gets you to laugh about everything, you know, and he brings on people. Yeah, he's good. I feel as if I, I have seen him grow too from his, you know, books, from addiction to where he is. Yeah. And he always talks about Kundalini, but I do feel as if he's got very strong the past maybe yeah. 18 months to two years. Well, he did it every day with us. And I think he might still do it now. And I think he kind of teaches it, but I think he kind of teaches it in his own form. Yeah. <laughs> his own ways. Any other questions? Yes. So we're doing this all day, every day. When we bring it to our students, how do we kind of set that up? Is it okay if people just come once a week? Or do you like have series? Or I'm just trying to figure out Oh, you're asking what should you teach in a 
But there's lots of ways you can do it. You can teach every day and teach anything at random, or you can teach the, a chakra series. You can teach a workshop just for women. It's kind of like the, the sky's the limit of what you can do. Yeah. You can take um, new moon and full moon. You can do, um, trying to think of all the things I've done. Um, If you, what, if you teach once a week? Yeah, but they'll get a lot more out of it if you, say you build a class of one time a week, and then you, they say, we want more, we want more, then you can get another day, and maybe you can go three times a week, and then you can have the same people that will come, and they'll, they'll grow three times as fast then. It's kind of like the opportunity of where you're going to go teach. You can teach in a park and have a bowl and have a donation bowl. Or you can get into the YMCA or into offices or you can go to a yoga center, the ones that are open now, and say, I'm, you, you need to say, I'm a new Kundalini Yoga teacher. But drop our names because we're kind of known throughout the world. I studied with, with Gurmukh and Gurshabet and I'm certified, blah, 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 and I like to teach. And, all of that, and um, it's a good place to start to give your one-tenth, too. Because say the bowl is fill up of $50 you get, and then you give 10% of that, put it in another basket for to give it away. Um, benefits, too, benefits are so great. I think it's the highlight of what I teach, is just do a benefit for um, the homeless, do a benefit for the, um, whatever organization or whatever peoples that you know are involved with. And that also, remember, that's a gift you give to your students because they're giving. Even though they might not have given previously, they're learning to give too. That because you're giving, we're all giving. And that, that's kind of a warm feeling. And there's many times that I've found a organization, I'm like on the 4th of July, I'm gonna do it for the, um, food drive in Los Angeles, feeding the people. And I'll do it on Zoom with Sanatum, but then we'll have Nancy Beta, who's the head of it, she'll come and speak. And oftentimes if you find somebody like, say, um, what's dogs, what are they, what's it called? Like, um, you know, when they have the dogs in the shelter and you can go get them. Yeah, like a rescue, or a rescue um, where they're gonna um, kill them then you say, okay, let's do something. They need new beds or they need new sources. And then you ask the person who's um, heads it all up, will you come and just say a word about it? And pretty soon you're connecting the dots in your community. Um, the homeless, um, halfway houses for women and addictions, halfway house for unwed mothers, prisons. There's just unending. And about nursing homes, we used to go in and teach um, like chair yoga, or sometimes they were in bed yoga for um, old people. We just teach them keratin kriya. We get them to chant a little bit, walk a little bit if they could. It's you can go into hospitals where the kids are um, have terminal diseases, and you can go and teach them like yoga in their beds. You know, it's unending the things you can do. We've had so many people teach in the school system like in New York and in New Jersey that just changed the tide 
of the schools, especially in New Jersey, where one woman started this whole program of going into the, the poorest sections with the worst schools and um, teaching the kids yoga. And it's, it's changed the school and it's changed their lives. Imagine if you had this experience when you were nine years old. Someone gave you one minute of truth inside yourself. So it's unending, the amount. But we always say, if you're trying to earn a living teaching yoga, forget it. That's not the point. You probably will if you're good. But don't go in thinking, this is my new occupation. Keep your day job or wherever else you're getting money and add this on. You know, the, the worst mistake is when you are already developing a website of who you are and you're making calling cards and you're doing all this stuff. That's bullshit. <laughs> that all stuff will unfold when it's supposed to unfold. You're not ready for that. We had one woman, her name was Madonna, and she sat in front of me in India. And every day she started dressing more and more like me. She was cloning me and talking like me and trying to, I mean, it's, I didn't really get it too much, but people started telling it was kind of scary. Then she went to Dubai and she claimed herself on all the media that she was a master of Kundalini Yoga. And she just went haywire, but you know what? I saw her in Tulum just like anyone else, walking on the beach with her hair down and everything going on. I think she had passed through that phase. She says, hi, I'm Madonna. And I said, wow. <laughs> so you're, you're nothing. I'm nothing. If I didn't think I'd be doing this. I just started teaching yoga in the park for free 52 years ago. I just, I had an experience and I wanted to share it. That was all. It's as simple as that. I didn't know. We had nothing organized as far as being a teacher. We had no manuals. We had little stick figures. And then Yogi Bhajan said, well, what would she teach? And he, talked, talked, he had taught us about the chakras. So he said, just start from the bottom and go to the top. So we were, we were winging it. But, um, and then it became, of course, a school and manuals and all that. But um, more questions? Yes? So my question would be, so obviously for teaching, I we're up to our own, but we would say for like sadhana, is this enough to cover like the energy or the crown chakra? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Mm. Who else? More questions? I mean, y'all know everything? <laughs> no. Wow, I like that. Okay, so we're good. Let's go into some Venus Kriyas now. And then I'm going to give you time to start. What's the best way that you all think you can, you can perfect or, or learn your Kriya? Is sitting in jetas or sitting with those who are doing the same Kriya and meditation? Is that the best? Yeah. 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 Which is next? Yeah. Okay. And we'll continue.